0: The Old Testament reading for today is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. I think it's wrong in the bulletin, so ignore that. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. The New Testament reading is Mark 2, 23 through 28. Mark 2, 23 through 28. First, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is the sermon text for today. Exodus 20, verse 8, hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy let us go now to mark chapter 2 and we will read verses 23 through 28 mark 2:23 one sabbath he jesus was going through the grain fields and as they made their way his disciples began to pluck heads of grain And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar and the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath Was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So far, the reading of God's most holy word, may He add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. We've come now to the fourth of the Ten Commandments, which is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There are two things that I would like to remind you of by way of introduction. These two points have been made in previous sermons, but they're crucial to a proper understanding of the fourth commandment, and so I'll restate them now. One, the Ten Commandments contain the moral law of God. We confess the moral law is from God, it was written on man's heart at creation. God made man a moral creature and gave him the ability to know right from wrong and good from evil. And he inscribed, if you will, the moral law on man's soul. The moral law of God applies to all people at all times and in all places, therefore. I've said in previous sermons that judicial or civil laws may change Judicial laws are rooted in the moral law, but they may take different forms in different nations depending upon the circumstances. Israel's Old Covenant judicial laws were indeed from God, but they were unique to that nation given their unique place in God's program of redemption. And the ceremonial laws given to Israel under the Old Covenant were also unique to them. These laws governed their their Old Covenant Worship their Old Covenant religious practice, and they have expired with the Old Covenant, for they were fulfilled in Christ. But the moral law, which is contained within the Ten Commandments, is universal, unchanging, ever-binding on all men. And if you wish to read a scripture text that speaks very directly about this, you can go to Romans chapter 2. It would take me a very long time to say everything that could be said about the moral Or natural law which is related to it. Uh, For now I simply wish to remind you of what we confess to be true. The same moral law which was written on Adam's heart at creation is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And this same law, the moral law, is rewritten not in stone as the Ten Commandments were. But upon the hearts of all who believe upon Christ when they are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord says in that famous passage found in Jeremiah 31 wherein He speaks to the people of God concerning the coming new covenant. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. So the day's coming. A new covenant is coming. And here's what I'm going to do in those days. That law that was written in stone in the days of Moses, I'm going to take it and I'm going to write it on the hearts of my people under the New Covenant. So then we must see that the moral law was delivered to Adam at creation, having been written on his heart, as it were. The same moral law was delivered to Israel. It was contained within the Ten Commandments, which He spoke to them from Sinai, and later delivered to them through Moses on tablets of stone, The same moral law remains today. It remains within all men, though it is badly suppressed and distorted by sinners. And it is written anew and afresh upon the hearts of all who are regenerated by the Spirit and united to Christ by faith. We who have faith in Christ, we love God's law and we desire to keep it, though we often fall short of it, because God has renewed us by His grace. Do you see this? We long to keep God's law. Though we often fail, we long to keep God's moral law because of regeneration. Because of the work that the Holy Spirit has done upon our hearts. He has taken the moral law which was delivered to Israel through Moses and written on stone. And He has written it on our hearts through Christ. The mediator of the new covenant and by the Holy Spirit. Finally, it is by this moral or natural law that all men will be judged when Christ returns if not united to Him by faith and washed in His blood. So why am I reminding you of this? I'm, why am I reminding you that the moral law is permanent and unchanging and that it is contained within the Ten Commandments? Well, it's for this reason, most Christians will admit that it has always been true that Yahweh alone is to be worshipped, not with images, but with reverence. They will admit that parents are to be honored by their children and that murder, adultery, theft, deceit, and covetousness are sinful and always will be. What have I just done there except um, briefly recited to you nine of the Ten Commandments? In other words, most will freely acknowledge that nine of the Ten Commandments remain and apply today universally. Most Christians will readily admit that, but I have noticed that many Christians today will disregard the fourth commandment which is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But here it is, situated right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, which contain God's moral law. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The law says something is wrong here. There's an inconsistency. This law, the ten words that were spoken by God to Israel from Sinai, then later written on stone, these are set apart even in the giving of the law itself at that time as unique. And they are unique for the moral law, the unchanging law of God, is contained within these ten words. They all remain today, in other words, brothers and sisters. We cannot disregard the fourth of the Ten Commandments. The law concerning Sabbath observance is moral. It is universal and unchanging. God created the world in such a way, listen to this, God created the world in such a way that a pattern was established for mankind regarding work, rest, and worship. Even Adam in the garden before sin entered the world was to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Israel was to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Christ remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy. He even declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. And all who are in Christ are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy too, even to this present day. And on until the consummation of all things, and our eternal rest in Christ, of which the Sabbath day is a sign. The second thing that I wish to remind you of by way of introduction is that some things were said to Old Covenant Israel when the Ten Commandments were delivered to them that were unique to them and do not apply therefore to all people at all times and all places. I've said this before, I need to say it again. It's important, especially as we consider the Fourth Commandment again. There were some things that were said to Old Covenant Israel when the ten words were delivered to them from Sinai that were unique to them and do not apply, therefore, to all people at all times and all places. Again, I might ask, is the moral law contained within the ten words that were delivered to Israel through Moses on Sinai? You say, yes, it it is. It is summarized. It is comprehended there. But do not forget the other things that are said to Israel. In the giving of the Ten Commandments, take the preface, for example, it was to Israel and to no one else that God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He said that to them and to no one else. And remember also the warning that was attached to the second commandment which forbids idolatry. God warned that He would visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate Him and promise to show steadfast love to thousands of those who love Him and keep His commandments. The blessings and curses that are stated here pertain to the covenant of works that God made with Israel in those days. He made that covenant with them and not with anyone else. And when we come to the command concerning children, honoring father and mother, we will see that a blessing was promised to those who obeyed this commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. God promised to give Israel the land of Canaan and to bless them in it if they obeyed His law. He made no such promise to any other people. So then this promise was specifically for them. Though application can certainly be drawn from it, which Paul the Apostle does in his letter to the Ephesians. So what's my point? My my point is that in Exodus 20, we find the moral law communicated to Israel, but it is clearly intermingled with other warnings and remarks that were unique to Old Covenant Israel. We cannot forget that God delivered this law to them while entering into a covenant with them. He gave them the moral law, which is for all men in all times and places. But He also spoke to them specifically as His covenant people. Some things were said to them, and not to us, therefore, And if we wish to understand God's law correctly, we must learn to distinguish between the ever-abiding moral laws themselves and the things which were added to them. I will say that again. If we wish to understand God's law correctly, we must learn to distinguish between the ever-abiding moral laws themselves and the things which were added to them, either words of warning or words of explanation or positive laws of a judicial or ceremonial kind. These two points are especially important to remember as we consider the fourth of the Ten Commandments. This is because the fourth of the Ten Commandments contains a mixture of moral law and what is called positive law. What is the moral law which is universally binding and unchanging in the fourth commandment? It is this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, that will never change, not until Christ returns to usher in the eternal rest, of which the weekly Sabbath is a sign. Men and women, in all times and places, are to worship Yahweh alone, not with images, with reverence, with one day in seven being observed as a day that is holy, ceasing from work to engage in worship. That pattern of one out of every seven was established Not in the days of Moses, but at the time of the creation of this world. And and that is a very significant thing to, to note. The Sabbath was not instituted in the days of Moses as if it were uniquely for Old Covenant Israel. No, the Sabbath day was instituted at the time of creation. But do not be surprised when we find that some things about the fourth commandment have changed. What has changed? Well, the day of observance has changed. from the the seventh day to the first. And for good reason. The day of observance has changed from the seventh day to the first. And we will return to consider the reason for the change of the day in just a moment. But for now, I simply wish to remind you that in the law of Moses in general, and even in the ten words of Exodus 20, we find a mixture of unchanging and universal moral laws, and things that were in some ways unique to Old Covenant Israel. We must carefully distinguish between them if we are to handle God's law correctly. Now, with that rather long introduction out of the way, I want to consider the fourth commandment itself with you. Yahweh spoke to Israel saying, again, The first three commandments were stated negatively. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. These commandments tell us what is forbidden, and we know that what is required of us is implied. God alone is to be worshipped. He is to be worshipped in the way He has prescribed, and He is to be revered. But the fourth commandment is stated positively. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I don't think we are to make too much of this uh, because it is true with every negative command the positive is implied and with every positive command the negative is implied. Each of these ten commandments forbids and requires things of us. Nevertheless, it is true that while these first three commandments place the emphasis upon sins to be avoided, the fourth commandment places emphasis upon a practice to be observed to remember the Sabbath day, is to observe it or to keep it. And it is to be kept thoughtfully, as we will see. The Sabbath day is a day to be perpetually remembered. Sabbath means rest or ceasing. The Sabbath day is a rest day. It is a day for stopping or ceasing. The question is, what are we to cease from? On the Sabbath day. What exactly are we to cease from on this day of rest or stopping? And the text tells us six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, etc. Notice what the commandment does not say. It does not say cease from all activity, but rather the commandment tells us to cease from our work or from our labors. Cease, in other words, from the common work that you do on the other days of the week. Put a full stop to your normal labor, your ordinary chores, and from those common activities that are appropriate to be done on the common days of the week, but not on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day is to be honored as a holy day. You are to cease from your working, and so too are those in your household Even the sojourners in Israel were to cease from work on the Sabbath day. In other words, we are to cease from work on the Lord's Day Sabbath, applying it now to us. And we are not to delegate our work to others as if it were okay for them to work in our place. Indeed, the Sabbath day is a rest day. It is a stop day or a day to cease from ordinary work. But notice That it is also to be regarded as a holy day. Listen to the commandment again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it is not merely a day for stopping. It is a day for stopping or ceasing from our work so that we might take up a different kind of activity. The Sabbath day is to be observed as a rest day, but this does not mean that it is a day for inactivity. On the Sabbath day, we are to put a stop to our ordinary and common work so that we might engage in a special kind of activity, namely the activity of holy rest and holy worship. In other words, the Sabbath day is not to be an empty day, but a day filled with a special kind of activity. The day, the whole day, Is to be set apart from all the others as holy unto the Lord. It is to be a day for holy resting. It is to be a day for holy contemplation of the works of God. A day for holy fellowship. A day for holy worship. This day, the Sabbath day, is to be regarded as holy. Notice that the reason for the Sabbath is stated in verse 11 with these words. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is a reference to Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Here, the fourth commandment reminds us of the original institution of the Sabbath day at the time of creation. And this is very important. Who instituted the Sabbath? We say God did. When did He do it? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And how did He institute the Sabbath? By accomplishing the work of creation in six days by resting from His work of creation on the seventh day and by blessing the seventh day to make it holy. Who is to honor the Sabbath day, therefore? Adam and Eve were to honor the Sabbath day along with all of their descendants. This pattern of six days of work and one day for rest and worship was established at the time of creation. It was baked into the created order, if you will. We must see this. As we transition now to the portion of the sermon where I try to get to the heart of the matter, Uh, please allow me to make a few more observations about the institution of the original Sabbath. If we wish to understand the fourth commandment, brothers and sisters, we must understand what the Sabbath was all about originally, you see. I mean, we can just take this law on face value and say God commanded us to religiously observe one day out of seven as holy unto Him and leave it at that. But I think it is far better for us to to look more broadly at what the Scriptures have to say about the Sabbath day so that we can comprehend what this day is really all about so that we might observe it appropriately for our good and the glory of God. One, we must see that God did not need six days to create the heavens and earth. Nor did He need a day of rest. No, instead, God took six days to create the heavens and earth, and He took a day of rest in order to establish a pattern for mankind. You understand this, right? I mean, really, it is strange to to hear of God taking six days to do something and resting on a day. God does not need to take time to do anything, and God does not need rest. Obviously, there was a purpose for this pattern, And the purpose for this pattern, the purpose for this way of doing things was to establish a model for us to follow. Again, this pattern of six and one, six and one is baked into the created order. Two, when the the text says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, we are to see that He blessed the day and made it holy, not for Himself, but for us. All of the days of the week are in and of themselves the same. The sun rises and sets In the same manner, on each day of the week, time passes in the same way. The wind blows, the clouds move along, the birds sing, the rain falls in the same way on the first day as it does on the seventh. You understand this. If we were just to consider the days by themselves, they all have kind of the same nature to them, don't they? Everything that happens on the first day will happen on the seventh, so on and so forth. Uh, What makes one day out of seven unique from all the others? Well, we must say that it was only the Word of God that did this: God, by His activity, and God, by His word, set one day apart as holy. In other words, Adam and Eve would not have known that the seventh day was to be regarded as holy if the Lord had not said so. And to use a posit- uh, to, And to use a, a technical term, the seventh day was made holy by way of the imposition of positive law. What is the moral principle? What is the moral principle uh, that was in man's heart from the very beginning? It is that God is to be worshipped. God is to be worshipped as He has prescribed and time is to be devoted to the worship of God. What is the positive law uh, that was given at the time of creation? It was this, uh, that the seventh day was to be observed as holy in remembrance of God's work of creation. Uh, Men know by nature that God is to be worshipped and that a particular portion of time is to be devoted to worship. I'd say, look at the religions of the world. They all have their holy days, don't they? But when God created the world, He did so in such a way to establish the pattern of one day in every seven. More than this, He blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy by way of positive law. Thirdly, and connected to this, we must remember that positive laws... Are symbolic. And so it was with the seventh day Sabbath. Please follow along with me here, brothers and sisters. This is so very important. Positive laws are symbolic, they have symbolism in them. They are also attached to the covenants that God has made with man. They they speak to us, in other words, they communicate a message. Positive laws communicate a message. Think of the trees in the garden. Adam was to eat of one tree and to abstain from another. If he was to look at these trees, he would not have known the difference between them. What made them distinct? What made them unique? What made the tree of life? The tree of life was there something to its physical makeup that made it magical, you, you don't know? No. What made the tree of life? The tree of life God made it the tree of life by His word and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The same thing could be said there. Those trees were sacramental. Positive laws were imposed upon Adam. Live in obedience to me, Adam. Do the work that I've given you to do. Honor me as God. And here's the test. Will you abstain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and will you eat from the tree of life in due time? You see, these were sacramental trees, positive laws. There was symbolism in them, right? What was symbolized except Adam's inward Obedience to God uh, from the heart. And they were connected to that original covenant that God made with Adam. So think of the trees of the garden. Think also of circumcision. Think of baptism and the Lord's Supper. All of these things signify things. They, 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 They signify things. And here I am saying that the same was true of the seventh day Sabbath. The seventh day Sabbath signified or symbolized something. What did it signify? What did the seventh day Sabbath signify? Well, many things. One, it served as a perpetual reminder that it was God who made the heavens and the earth. Think of it. God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth and He did so in this way. Six days He worked and created. Seventh day He rested. Man is to follow the same pattern. So with each passing week as Adam worked six days and rested on the seventh, it would be a a reminder to him of God's work of creation. And if you cannot see why man needs to be reminded that God is creator and we are not, then I don't know what to say to you. You we, We need this reminder perpetually. God is creator. We are creation. This world is... His world, and we are guests within it. Everything belongs to Him. We are stewards of the good gifts that God has given to us. The weekly Sabbath preaches that message to us, doesn't it? As we work six days and rest for one, we are reminded that God is creator, that we are creature. we live in His world, etc. It preaches that message. There's symbolism to it. That is what I am saying. Two, the Sabbath day reminds us that God created in six days and entered into rest so that we might follow His example God took six days to create and entered into rest, and we are to do the same weekly. We are to be imitators of God, in other words, in our work and in our rest. We are to imitate Him, having been made in His image. We are to imitate God as we live in His world. Three, the Sabbath day signifies the eternal rest of God and invites us to enter into it. There was no end to the seventh day of creation, you will notice, and this is because there is no end to God's rest. But I say that we are invited to enter into God's rest through the symbolism of the seventh day Sabbath because this was clearly the original meaning. We must remember that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy while entering into the covenant of works with Adam in the garden. What was Adam to do? Under this covenantal arrangement, what was Adam to do? He was to work the garden. He was to expand its borders. He was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He was to abstain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in due time he was to eat of the tree of life. What was the promised reward for obedience to the terms of this covenant? Stated simply it was this. Life eternal. Also known as eternal rest in God. That was the promised reward. Should Adam keep the terms of the covenant of works? You see the the, the tree of the Knowledge of good and evil represented disobedience. The tree of life, though, represented Adam's obedience, his passing of the probationary period. And the life that was held forth to Adam in that sacramental tree was not common life, the kind of life that he already possessed. Instead, it was life in glory, eternal life, life in God's presence for all eternity. Are you following me here? Uh, That's what the tree signified. And I am saying to you that the the Sabbath day, the seventh day Sabbath signified something similar. God worked, and God entered into rest. And now man is called to work, and through his work to enter into eternal rest, into the eternal rest of God. The Sabbath was a sign of eternal life. The Sabbath was a sign of eternal rest. It was an invitation for Adam to enter into the eternal rest of God through obedience, through His work. The Sabbath day itself communicated by way of symbol, this invitation that was offered to man. And the seventh day Sabbath in particular communicated the way that eternal rest would be obtained. For Adam, under the covenant of works, the way to enter into that rest would be through what? Through work. It would be through work. If Adam was to eat of the tree of life and to have what it signified, he first was to be obedient to God's law. And in the same way, if Adam was to enter into God's eternal Sabbath rest, he first had to do the work that God had given him to do. In the, in the, garden, in the garden, the arrangement was this. Faithful work will lead to eternal rest and glory. In other words, in general, the Sabbath day signifies eternal life and rest in the blessed presence of God, and in particular the seventh day Sabbath signified that eternal life and rest in the blessed presence of God would have to be earned by man through obedient work. That was the original arrangement under the covenant of works that God made with man in the beginning. Let me now attempt to bring all of this together for you through a series of questions and answers. One, what is the natural law contained within the fourth commandment? It is that God alone is to be worshipped, not with idols, with reverence, and here it is. A particular time is to be set apart for the worship of God. This is the thing which all men seem to know intuitively or by nature. Two, what is the moral law contained within the fourth commandment? It is that one day in seven is to be observed as holy unto the Lord, a day for rest and a day for worship. This was the pattern established by God when He created the world. It is baked into the natural order of things, in other words. Three, what is the positive law concerning the particular day for rest and worship? So one in seven is to be devoted as a day of worship to the Lord. Well, on which day are we to rest and worship We confess that from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath day was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath day was changed into the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. And is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the observation of the last day of the week, having been abolished. If you would ask me to present you with proof texts from the New Testament to demonstrate that on the one hand, the weekly Sabbath day is still to be honored under the New Covenant. On the other hand, the Sabbath day has changed from the seventh day to the first. It would go something like this. Are you ready for the proof texts? You know. So, so does the day remain? I say yes, it certainly remains. Um, the day of the Sabbath, that is one in seven. Yes, it remains. Sabbath keeping remains for us. Has the day changed from the 7th to the 1st? Yes, certainly it has. The New Testament is clear about this. First of all, in Mark 2, which I read at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus Christ declared Himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. As Lord of the Sabbath, He taught about its proper observance in His ministry. He says a lot about proper Sabbath keeping, mind you. Read the Gospels and see. It's a hot topic, if you will. He says a lot about proper Sabbath observance. But He also has authority to change the day. As the Lord of the Sabbath. Two, Hebrews 4 9 explicitly says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The text is very clear, especially in its context. The writer to the Hebrews is declaring that the practice of Sabbath keeping still remains under the new covenant and will remain until the thing of which the weekly Sabbath signifies arrives, namely eternal rest in the new heavens and new earth. Hebrews 4.9 explicitly says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In, translated more literally and woodenly, this is what the writer to the Hebrews says, So then there remains a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. So then there remains this religious practice of honoring a Sabbath day for the people of God. That's what the Greek term certainly means. 3. There are a number of passages that clearly teach that the Old Covenant, Jewish Seventh-day Sabbath, along with all of the festival days associated with it, have passed away because they have been fulfilled in Christ. Are you with me? So does it remain? Yes, it remains. Christ declared Himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. Christ taught about proper Sabbath observance a lot in His ministry. Why would He do that if He were going to throw the thing in the garbage can after He rose from the dead, brothers and sisters? Um, Hebrews 4.9 explicitly says there remains a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. Now I am dealing with the question of has something changed regarding the day of observance? And I'm saying yes. There are many passages that clearly teach that the Old Covenant, Jewish, Seventh-day Sabbath, along with all of the festival and feast days associated with it, that were built upon it, have passed away because they have been fulfilled in Christ. In other words, if I were to ask you, are we obligated to keep the Jewish Sabbath, the Old Covenant Sabbath day, the Seventh Day Sabbath? No. That Sabbath day has been fulfilled in Christ, and you'll see why in just a moment. Colossians 2, 16-17 is the most famous of these. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath By the way, that's plural in the Greek and not in the ESV. That bothers me. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbaths. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Pay careful attention to this, brothers and sisters. These three terms, festival, new moon, and Sabbaths, Are used together in the Old Testament to refer to the entire religious calendar of Old Covenant Israel. They're technical terms that are used together frequently in the Old Testament to refer to the entire religious calendar of Old Covenant Israel. As you know, Israel was not only to keep the weekly seventh day Sabbath, but other Sabbaths too, which were connected other feasts, such as the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Booths. All of these feasts had Sabbath days associated, involved in them. And if you wish to see these three terms, festival, new moon, and Sabbaths, uh, used together, you may see 2 Chronicles 8.13 as an example. What is Paul saying here in Colossians 2.16-17? He's saying that the new covenant people of God are not obligated to obey the old covenant Positive laws regarding food and drink, and neither are they obligated to observe the Old Covenant religious calendar, including the seventh day Sabbath, for these have been fulfilled in Christ. Four, Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And he also made a point of appearing to his disciples in his resurrection when they were assembled together on the first day of the week, which is sometimes called the eighth day. What day did Christ raise from the grave on? Sunday, the first day of the week. How long did Christ stay on earth in His resurrection body and appear to His disciples from time to time? How long was He on earth? Forty days. and. When did He appear to them? I I don't know. Perhaps He appeared to them at other times too. But what I want for you to see is that in John's Gospel in particular, you can read the end of John's Gospel to see this, He places special emphasis upon the fact that Christ, who is Lord of the Sabbath, remember, appeared to His disciples in His resurrection when they were assembled together on the first day of the week. He emphasizes this. When they were all together, assembled together... Reminds you of something, doesn't it? (laughs) We're all assembled together now. That's what the church does. Uh, When they were assembled together on the first day of the week, or eight days later, the text sometimes says, He appeared to them and said, Peace be with you, etc. You know, the Lord created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh when the original creation was worked. And here Christ seems to be giving special attention and emphasis to the first day of the week when He rose from the grave. Five, the New Testament is clear that it was the practice of the early church to assemble for worship on the first day of the week. For example, Acts 20 verse 7 says, "On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight, etc." <laughs> this could not be more clear. The church was gathered together on what day of the week? The first day of the week. What were they doing? Breaking bread. It's a reference to the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, not to eating a common meal together. And what happened when they were gathered together to break bread together? Paul came to them and what did he do? He preached. And you cannot gripe about the length of my sermons, brothers and sisters, because Christ, uh, Christ Paul prolonged his speech all the way until midnight. The, the, uh, the consequences were devastating in this uh, text, we know. But um, God worked a miracle in it. Uh, he prolonged his speech until midnight. What's the point that I'm here making? Paul met with the assembled church on what day of the week? The first day of the week. The disciples assembled to break bread. That is to observe the Lord's Supper and to listen to the preaching of the Word of God on this day. These are the elements of New Covenant worship. They assembled on the first day. And listen what Paul, to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is a call for contributions to be made by the church, and they're to do this on the first day of the week. And, And many other texts can be presented to you. Clearly, it was a practice of the church in the days of the apostles to assemble on the first day. And we know from the writings of the early church fathers that next generation... Of Christian leaders after the apostles that this remained their custom after the apostles had passed. Why? Why did they do this? Because Christ, who is Lord of the Sabbath, established this practice in His resurrection appearances to His disciples. Indeed, and I would imagine also in word. Six, in the book of Revelation, this day is referred to appropriately as the Lord's day. In Revelation 1.10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Here, there's a day of the week all of a sudden that is being referred to as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. A day that belongs uniquely to the Lord. Don't all days belong to the Lord? Yes, they do. But there is now one day of the week that is being called by John the Lord's Day, a day that belongs specifically to him. And we know, uh, especially from the writings of the early church fathers, that this day of the week is Sunday. Day one of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection, and do not forget that Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. As is often the case with theological issues like this, there is no one passage that says it all. But when taken all together, the New Testament is clear that when Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, there was a fulfillment of the old seventh day Sabbath. It passed away, but the practice of Sabbath keeping remains. And now God's people are to rest and worship one day in seven. The day has changed, though, from the seventh to the first. But why? Why? We know that it happened. We know that from the time of creation to the resurrection of Christ the day for rest and worship was the seventh day. And we know that from the resurrection of Christ until the consummation of all things, the day for rest and worship is the first day. We know that that is the case. But here I am asking, why? What is the reason for the change of the day? I could present proof texts to you and demonstrate from the New Testament that the Sabbath day is to, to still be remembered and kept holy on the first day of the week. But I think it is important for us to understand... Why the day has changed, and why the Sabbath still remains? Why does Sabbath keeping remain? Why does Sabbath keep, the Sabbath keeping remain? Why has the day changed? To understand why, we cannot simply proof text. We also need to understand what the Sabbath is about. Why does Sabbath keeping remain? I've already said it, but I'll say it once more. It is because the thing of which the Sabbath is a sign is not here yet. The thing of which the Sabbath is a sign is not here yet. What did the Sabbath day signify from the beginning? In brief, eternal life, eternal rest in the presence of God Almighty. It signified the new heavens and earth. It signified the eternal state which was offered to Adam and is portrayed for us so beautifully in the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Do you want a picture of it? Go read the end of the book of Revelation. There is a picture of the new heavens and new earth. There is a picture of our eternal rest in God. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I do not need to tell you that we have not yet entered in to the fullness of that rest, do I? No, we are sojourners still. We are sojourners still. We have not yet entered in to that eternal rest. In fact, this is precisely the argument that the writer to the Hebrews makes when he talks about a Sabbath-keeping remaining for the people of God. His whole argument is that we are not there yet. We must be diligent to enter into this eternal rest. We are not quite there yet, and because we are not there yet, the Sabbath remains. Sabbath keeping remains. And why has the day changed from the seventh to the first? Three things must be said. One, the original seventh day Sabbath was attached to the original creation, God created. Through the Word and by the Spirit in six days and rested on the seventh. The original creation, remember, was ruined by sin. But now, by the grace of God, there is a new creation. It too was brought into existence by the Father through the Word and the Spirit. The first day Sabbath does not only remind us of the original creation, no, it is to remind us now of the new creation which was earned by Christ. Are you following me? So these Sabbath days, first the seventh and then now the first day Sabbath, remind us of God's work of creation. The original seventh day Sabbath pointed us back to the original creation, which was ruined by sin. But now we rest and worship on the first day of the week because that is the day upon which Christ rose from the dead and ushered in the new creation, which he earned as the second and obedient Adam. Two, the original seventh day Sabbath was attached to the covenant of works that God made with Adam in the beginning. Work would lead to rest. Work would lead to rest. That was the arrangement, remember. And the pattern of six days of work leading to one day of rest was clearly a fitting sign for the covenant of works. Are you following me? I'm making a covenant with you, Adam. If you're obedient, you'll lead of the tree of life. If you're obedient to do the work I've given you to do, you may enter into my eternal rest. So here's the Sabbath... And in particular, here's the seventh-day Sabbath to serve as a sign for this covenantal arrangement that we have. Work six days and rest on the seventh. Work will lead to rest. The seventh-day Sabbath was a fitting sign for the covenant of works. But now God's people are under the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace. The seventh-day Sabbath does not fit the covenant of grace. The seventh-day Sabbath, and I do know that it is Stated strongly here, denies that Christ has come to fulfill the covenant of works and to institute the covenant of grace by his shed blood. The seventh day Sabbath forgets that there is a new creation here, which we are now to remember. Do you understand this? In a covenant of grace, work does not lead to rest, no rest is freely given and freely received, and then work or obedience does follow. That is the arrangement in a covenant of grace. Rest is freely given. Rest is freely received. We receive it through faith in Jesus the Christ, you see. We begin there. And now, why do we keep God's law, brothers and sisters? Because by God's grace it has been written upon our hearts. Our sins have been washed away. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have been made into His beloved children. And Because God's law is written upon our hearts, by God's grace, we now desire to keep it. You see, our work flows out of the grace that has been bestowed upon us. The first day, Sabbath, is a fitting sign for the covenant of grace. When we rest and when we worship on the first day of the week, we are reminded not only of the original creation, but of the new creation, which Christ has earned. And we are reminded also of the fact that we are not under the covenant of works, which Adam broke and its curses. We are under the covenant of grace, which Christ has earned for us by His shed blood. We are under the blessings of that covenant, freely received through faith in Christ the Lord. You see, the the moral law remains the same. Yahweh alone is to be worshipped. Never with images or idols. Always with reverence and in the way that He has prescribed. Right, All of that remains. A portion of time is to be devoted for the worship of God. In particular, one day in seven is to be regarded as holy unto Him. We're to cease from our labors on that day and we are to worship. And the positive law, the positive law that was added at the time of creation... That was fulfilled in Christ. He accomplished the work and He entered into rest. And it has been changed. It has been set down upon the first day of the week by virtue of Christ's resurrection, you see. And we are to rest and we are to worship on the first day of the week. Three, the day of rest is now Sunday for this is the day on which Jesus Christ rose from the grave and everything turns on this event. When Christ rose... The power of sin was broken. The evil one was defeated. And the new creation did enter in. Brothers and sisters, we are to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Not on the seventh day, but on the first. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is the law. And I ask you, have you kept this law perfectly? We confess that we have violated this law in thought, word, and deed. Now for the gospel. Not only did Christ perfectly keep the Sabbath for you, so that you might receive His righteousness by faith, and not only did Christ die to atone for your sins, including your sins of Sabbath breaking, so that through faith in Him your sins are washed away, I also say to you that Christ Jesus is your Sabbath rest. Jesus Christ is your Sabbath rest. And this is good news. The first Adam was disobedient and failed to enter into the rest that was offered to him. But Jesus Christ, the second Adam, was obedient. He was obedient in the whole of life. He was without sin. And as our appointed mediator, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, ascended to the Father. And what did he do when he got there to finish his work completely? He sat down, having finished the work of redemption that was assigned to him you know, when you work, you stand. And when you're done with your work, what do you do? You sit down to rest. That's what Adam was supposed to do. He didn't. That's what the second Adam did. He finished the work. He, 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 he followed the course that the first Adam was to follow. He worked. And he entered into rest at the right hand of the Father. Christ has entered into Sabbath rest. He entered into Sabbath rest. And in Him, we have a foretaste of that rest even now. When He returns, we will rest in Him fully and for all eternity. You see, when the faithful who lived before Christ remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy, they were reminded of the original act of creation, of the covenant of works that God made with Adam, of the fact that Adam fell into sin, and that we fell in him, and that we have come short of the eternal rest that was offered to them. Uh, in that way, the Sabbath keeping of the old covenant was pretty negative, you know? God created the heavens the earth in the beginning, but it's ruined. He made a covenant with Adam in the garden, the covenant of works, but he broke it. Now we're under his curse. And they were reminded of all of that. But as they continued to observe the seventh day Sabbath from the days of Adam to the days of Christ, the faithful, the ones who had faith, were also reminded of the promise of the gospel that had been delivered to them. The seventh day Sabbath, even back then, reminded them that eternal rest could still be attained through faithful work. If there was no hope for eternal rest, why would there be any Sabbath keeping after the fall? Are you with me? It would just be kind of a tease, you know? (laughs) Here, keep the Sabbath day, which symbolizes eternal rest, but really it's not possible. No, they were keeping the Sabbath day still from the time of Adam's fall into sin up until the coming of the Christ because there still was a way. There still was a way. In fact, eternal rest could still be obtained through faithful work. You're saying, Pastor, sounds like a heretic right now. Eternal rest could still be obtained through faithful work. Here, I'll clarify that I'm not a heretic. It could not be obtained through their work, for all have sinned and fall have fallen short of the glory of God. Rest would have to be earned by the work of the Messiah. And how did they know that this would happen? Because promises were given to them. The promise of the gospel was delivered to them shortly after man fell into sin, and they preserved that promise also. So as they kept the seventh-day Sabbath, they were hearing this message through it. Rest is still available to you. Work will still lead to rest. Not your work, because you've all violated the law and thought, word, and deed, and stand condemned, but the work of the Messiah. The Messiah will come to do the work that Adam failed to do. He will do it. So those who had faith in Christ prior to the the coming of Christ, they, they understood this. So the Sabbath was both bad news to them, but it was also good news. Those with faith looked forward to the Messiah's coming and the work that He would accomplish for them. The faithful worked on days 1 through 6 and rested on the 7th as they set their hope not in themselves, but upon the Christ who was to come in the future. Isn't that marvelous? The faithful, sometimes it was a very small remnant, but the faithful understood this. Now that Messiah has come, Now that he has finished his work that the Father gave him to do, And now that He has entered into His rest, we still are to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And when we do, we do not only remember the first creation, we do not only remember the covenant of works made with Adam, the breaking of that covenant, the promise of the gospel that was spoken even in Adam's presence. No, we are to remember that Messiah has come, that He was faithful to do the work that the Father gave Him to do, that He has entered into His rest, that He has ushered in a new creation even now. We rest in Him now. And we are a new creation in Him. And as we sojourn in this cursed world, we long for the fullness of this rest, the consummation of all things, the new heaven and new earth, purchased by Christ's blood. This is the rest of which the Sabbath is a sign. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, brothers and sisters. What I am saying to you is that you are not to violate the Sabbath day. You're not to neglect to assemble together, as is the manner of some. You're not to treat this day, the Lord's Day Sabbath, as if it were common you have to be here with the saints on the Lord's Day to, to sing praises to God, to pray to God, to hear the preaching of the Word and to break bread. And when you leave this place, you're not to treat this day as common. Don't violate it. Treat it as holy. Put away your work. Put away your normal labors. Put away those things that are fitting for the other days of the week. Perfectly fine and good and God-honoring things. Yes, this day It's to be a day for rest. It is to be a day for worship. You know, people get hung up on the question, well, what exactly are we to do on the Lord's Day, Sabbath? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? It's not that complicated. Just ask yourself the question, is this activity, whatever it is, fitting for the day? Is it fitting for the day? Does it fit the day? Is this about rest unto the glory of god is this about worship is this about fellowship with brothers and sisters christ it's be a full day a marvelous day it really is it should be your very favorite day of the week if it is not you have not understood any of what has been said it's a day for rest and worship it's not a day for ordinary work or for recreation no with the exception of acts of necessity and mercy it is to be a day filled with a special kind of activity it's a day for remembering creation And also our redemption in Christ Jesus. It's a day for worship. It's a day for fellowship amongst believers. Brothers and sisters, the Sabbath day was not made for God but for man. The Sabbath day was not made for God but for man. It is a gift to us for in it we have this marvelous opportunity to draw near to our God, our Creator and Redeemer and to center and recenter our lives upon Him and upon the Savior that He has provided. It is a day for us to do business not with the world but with God. And I pray that the Lord's Day Sabbath would be a true blessing to you all. I pray that it would be a day that you long for and savor when it is here. I pray that we would learn to keep it more and more to God's glory and for our good as we wait for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our eternal inheritance in Him. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your law. We thank you for this fourth commandment which teaches us to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Help us to understand what is signified by the Sabbath day. May we remember it to the glory of your name and for our good. May we we savor this day. May we long for it. May we cherish it, O God. What a blessing this is to be invited to rest and to rest in you. Father, help us in all of these things. Help us to keep your law truly and from the heart. In Christ's name we pray, amen.